We owe you everything, our lives, our time, our energy, our ambitions. They're all not ours anymore, but they are all yours. So we pray, Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we open and meditate on your word, we pray that you speak to us and move among us and make the gospel fresh in our hearts that your name may be glorified, that it is clear to us this morning that we owe you all our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we remain standing, brothers and sisters, um, for the reading of God's word, let us uh, pay attention to our text today that will become the best basis of our sermon. John 14, we're going to read from verse 1 only through to 11. John 14, 1 to 11. Here is the word of God. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you, have, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on account of the works themselves. Please be seated. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you have asked uh, or ever had the experience of asking Siri or Alexa or uh, Google Maps the way to heaven. If you haven't done so, I don't want you to do it now, but when you are home later, ask one of those AI tools if they know the way to heaven. And this is what we're going to see, the, what the Bible says about how do we get to eternal life? But, but what I want to focus today is verse 6 of John 14, and that is the exclusive way to go to the Father, the creator of the universe. So we're going to look at the first point, the exclusive claim that Jesus made in verse uh, six, and we thank Thomas, who in the history of, um, uh, of, of the church has been known as the doubter, but without Thomas, we will not get this great I am statement that Jesus has uttered for our benefits. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Now, Jesus did not say that he would show us the way. He said, I am the way. He did not promise to teach us a truth. He said, he is the truth. Jesus did not offer us the secrets to life. He, he said he is the life himself. Now, he is the way, of course, because he is also the truth, right? The, a term that is found 21 times in the Gospel of John. He is the way because he is the life. That's how you understand these three adjectives, if you like. He is the way because he is the life. And the word zoe, the word life there, is found 39 times in the Gospel of John. And we have had looked at that many times throughout, throughout this expository series. And no, notice the article the, right, in, 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 in English. Jesus is saying with each of the uh, the that he is the definitive way the definite truth and the definitive life. The clear implication of that claim is that there is absolutely no other way, no other truth, and no other life. And that's why throughout history of the uh, New Testament church, Jesus' followers has been known as followers of the way. So you can read that in Acts 9, um, 2, 19, 9, and Acts 24. They are the followers of the way, i.e. Jesus himself. So if, if you are still young, and many of you are still young in this room, and you're wondering, what am I here for? Why am I here on this planet? If you do not know where you're going, just remember that Jesus is the way, the only way that gives you your life direction. If you are confused, you do not know what to think, you do not know what to believe, remember Jesus is the truth and he wants you to believe in him. If you feel completely exhausted, you feel that you do not have that energy to continue, doing what you're doing and, and live to the fullest, remember that Jesus is the life himself and he promised that he will give you that life to the max, abundant life. So without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, said Jesus. I am the truth in which you must believe and I am the life for which you must hope. So whoever is not in Jesus Christ as the way, he's out of the way, they are lost. Whoever is not in him as the truth, they are in fatal mistake. Whoever is not in him as the life, they are actually dead in sins. Now these are some very exclusive claims that Jesus made which will distinguish Christianity from all other beliefs and religion. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now this is obviously very controversial, especially in our days, um, era and age, 
Today, this remarkable statement means that he claims he is the only way to God. That means all other religious systems and rituals, basically they are not the true way, not the truth and not the ones that will give you the life that you want. Now, many people today, if you talk to your colleagues at work or your friends uh, on campus, they will not mind if you say that Jesus is one way, one legitimate way to God. But if that's, that's, if that's what uh, Jesus said, I am a way to God, then you're free to actually reject him because he is just one of a thousand ways to get to God. The problem is he said he is the way, right? So either you believe him or you don't, but there is no middle ground, and that's what we want to look at today. This is actually a consistent theme in the Bible. It's not just found in John 14. From right uh, in the beginning, from, from the Old Testament, you remember the Ten Commandments, it began with the words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. So the Jehovah you know, said that I am your Lord God. There's no one else, right? So Jesus is the Son of God, and he said, I am the way to go to that heavenly Father. Now, friends, uh, I don't think there is uh, another arrogant-sounding claim like the one that Jesus uh, made in Jesus, uh, John 14, 6, right? So that's, that's, that's the exclusive claim. The second point I want you to think about is the common objection. Right? As modern people... Um, if you go to the next slide, uh, David, that's the exclusive claim, yep. And then now the next slide uh, is the uh, common objection. Now, here's the common objection of uh, um, what, what uh, people like us, you know, modern people, if you um, speak to someone on Swanston Street, you, they, this is what they will uh, say if you tell them that Jesus is the only way to God. Why should Christianity be considered the only way? Why should Jesus be considered the only way when there are many religions, there are many beliefs, right? Many spiritual beliefs, not necessarily religious beliefs, but, you know, spiritual beliefs with different parts. But the thing is, whatever they say, this question itself is actually an exclusive claim. That's what I'm um, really eager to get across to you. This view, this opinion, this question itself is an exclusive claim. As soon as you start saying that you shouldn't be drawing lines here and say that Jesus is the only way and those outside of Jesus will not have it in their life. If you are uh, you're not supposed to be drawing lines like that. But see, what, what do they just uh, do? They are also drawing lines because they will say there are good people like us who do not draw lines and there are people 
like you, bad people who are drawing lines. See, that is itself is an exclusive claim. Everyone is exclusive when it comes to what they believe. So uh, narrowness is actually looking down on people who've got a different exclusive, uh, exclusive uh, truth claims than yours because you, everyone, including you, including me, have got an exclusive truth claim. What we really need in this world is not that we do not have exclusive truth claims, but the question is which one? Which one? Right, in the next slide, there is uh, this really important line from Tim Keller, which I think helps us to put this in the um, overall scheme of things that will help us to not only defend our faith, but to actually have a conversation with those who are yet to believe in Christ. And this is what he said. Everyone has a set of exclusive beliefs. The right question is not who has exclusive beliefs and who does not. The right question to ask is this, which set of exclusive beliefs will transform you and me into the most loving, reconciling person rather than that arrogant, you know, uh, narrow-minded bigots, right? Which one of these exclusive beliefs will help us to be that most understanding, empathetic, compassionate person? So if you think about people who said in, in our popular society, it doesn't matter what religion you believe in, all good people go to heaven. I've got many friends who believe that, right? It doesn't matter if you are Buddhists or followers of uh, whatever religion that you uh, like to choose. All good people, as long as you are good people, you will go to heaven. Now, that sounds very inclusive. That sounds very tolerant. But note, in that very sentence itself, that's also an, an exclusive claim because what the person is saying basically, that, uh, uh, basically is that the good people go to heaven, but then that means they exclude a huge chunk of people, i.e. the bad ones. And it's up to them to then define who are the good people and who are the bad people. And suddenly, they become so exclusive, or at least their inclusivity becomes so narrow because they define that goodness, uh, we are good people, and therefore we go to heaven because we follow a set of moral rules, but not these people who are bad. You see, even people who say, all good people go to heaven regardless of their religions or their beliefs, that is also an exclusive claim. If you take moralistic religion, and this is another case, right? If you believe that you have to uh, do five pillars or eight paths uh, to uh, happiness or to nirvana or whatever, that's, that's work-based religions. And you take that on, on board as the center of your life, what will you do? You will build a resume, right, 
of virtues and good works until you have enough credit in your account to earn God's favor. But that alone will always lead to a sense of superiority among those who practice it. And we will become so arrogant and superior to those secular people who do not believe in anything and to those uh, religious people who don't appear to be as composed, as put together as you have been. See, that's the problem with religious people. They do enough good works so that they can look down on the secular, godless people. But what about people who are on the other side? You know, people who are completely not in the, what you call uh, believers of any sort, right? Secularists. Now, if you're a secular person in Melbourne, in this modern era, you will also feel arrogant and superior to all the religious people. You will be proud of what makes you what you call progressive, enlightened, decent, forward-thinking, modern person in the eyes of secular society. And you will look down on all these religious people. They are just narrow-minded. They are archaic people. They just don't see that we are living in the 21st century. And little do they know that what they believe in, this is secular belief, is also actually a work-based religion without all the ceremonial trappings of churches and religious terminology. But it's all the same. Right? That, that's their religion, actually, that they believe in themselves. That's also a religion, and they will look down on people who are Christians, Buddhists, and Hindus, and you know, all, all basically those who are claiming to believe in their versions of God. See, friends, every system of thought, every religion, whether it's work-based religion or work-based secular system, leads you to believe that you'll be better than the people who do not believe in the things you believe. That's the number one problem. Why religions divide? Why religions cause war today? Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only set of exclusive beliefs, and everyone has that, right? But the gospel is the only set of exclusive beliefs that leads Christians to expect that others can and will be better than you morally. See, as, as uh, Christians who believe in the gospel, and let me rephrase, uh, 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 repeat that, as Christians who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because there are Christians who do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you do understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will never think of yourself superior to others. Why? Because the whole point of the gospel is that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God on the same fundamental people uh, level that people uh, are in. So none of us, no matter what achievements, moral achievements, um, physical, uh, um, financial achievements, any achievement that you've done, right? Whatever external moral behaviors you have, you cannot claim better positions than the person next to you. Why? Because in the eyes of God, we are complete moral failures. Had Jesus not come 
to stop us at our tracks, we will continue sinning and walking right to our eternal damnation. But if our hearts and our minds have fully grasped the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will never look down on anyone, no matter who they are, whether they are secular, religious, conservative, liberal, sinners, or saints. The gospel strips away all of our little titles that we cling to and replaces them with one single title and identity, sinner saved by grace. Whatever else your identity, right? You may be a, a father or a mother, you may be an employee, you may be uh, a manager, whatever your other identity is. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, we all have and share one identity. Sinner saved by grace, SSBG. And because of that, we never feel superior to other people. So all I'm saying is all religions are exclusive, but Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive religion. Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive religion because it teaches us that the only way we can be justified in God's sight is not by having moral performance, but having God's uh, crisis righteousness imputed to us. So in the, in the, in the uh, uh, next slide, we're going to see the third point and the last one, the gospel response to all this. If, if you are uh, finding yourself in um, doubts, you know, why, why this, this individual, Jesus, on the pages of the scripture, claims that he alone is the way. There's no other way to go to heaven, to have eternal life, to go to the Father. Why is that claim? Let us uh, look at again our text and see there are a few hints that tells us that he is actually the way. You see what, what he said uh, 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 in, in verse 3? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The fact that Jesus says, I will come again, that means he has come, and then he will go to prepare a place, and then he will come again. So when he first came to the world, that means he existed before his birth. It's not like he started his existence as a helpless baby in Bethlehem, but he existed before his birth. That means he was God, he is God. In other words, his pre-existence was in some extra-dimensional space independent from time and external to the universe itself. Jesus himself claimed to be God and he came in the flesh, which we have seen in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh, and in many other places in the four Gospels. Now, no other religions, no other founders of all religions that we know in the world make that claim, that he existed before the universe even began, that he's not only uh, born, but 
he came to this world and he came to be the creator as well. And then Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. You know, he spoke with this complete authority and confidence about heaven as if he knew exactly what heaven looks like. In fact, Jesus said, that is my father's house. You know, the place that we all want to be in, Jesus said, that's my father's house. He's not wondering, he's not scratching his head, you know, unlike uh, many religious founders uh, uh, who before um, his, their last dying breath were not sure where they want to go and they asked their followers to pray for them. But Jesus said, nope, I'm going to my father's house. He knew exactly what's life going to be beyond this planet. And he told his disciples there are rooms for them and he will go to prepare those rooms for them. And at the same time, he also prepares his disciples for that place. So he prepared the place for the disciples and he prepared the disciples for the place. Why? Because where he is, he wants the disciples to be as well. Where Jesus is, he wants you and I to be there as well. See, heaven, friends, will not be heaven without him. Heaven is attractive not because it has streets of gold or pearly gates or the presence of angels who play uh, Johann Sebastian Bach every day. That's not the attraction of heaven. The attraction of heaven is Jesus, right? And, and he said, where I am, you will be also. So that's why, Christians, if you do not like going to church and worship Jesus, that's what we're going to do uh, throughout eternity, right? So this is just a dress rehearsal, what we do every Sunday. But there's another hint in John 14 that is uh, helpful for us to understand. This, the next slide. Remember in um, the previous chapter that we saw, um, I think, uh, two weeks ago, Jesus was actually troubled in spirit. John 13, 21, after saying these things, after saying that he was about to die, that his disciples uh, were about to betray and deny him, it said Jesus was troubled in his spirit. But how could he then, in a matter of the next you know, few verses, he said this, let not your hearts be troubled, where he himself experienced the troubled um, condition in his spirit. See, friends, I think the uh, only way he can say, let not your hearts be troubled, is because he's going to the cross. Jesus can claim that he is the way because he is going to the cross. Like the disciples, you and I had every reason to be troubled where we live today. And Jesus um, told the disciples at the time, one of them was a traitor. Many of them would deny Jesus, not only Peter, and that Jesus would leave them uh, that night. Now, that would legitimately trouble the disciples, and there are so many things today that this, uh, trouble us as well. 
But see, Jesus never wants us to have life without trouble. But what he promised is that when we have a troubled, troubled life, we're going to have an untroubled heart because he had felt that trouble in his spirit when he was about to go to the cross. You see a man on the cross loving people who do not love him. For a Christian, that is something, right? That is what makes the exclusive claim so inclusive because at the center of the Christian faith is a man who died for his enemy. How could they, how could Christians then be cruel and hurtful and superior to others? We, we, cannot never, we can never be superior to other people. We cannot claim that we are the most blessed individuals on this planet. No, because we follow someone who died for his enemies and forgave those who was about to destroy him on the cross. So if you take the gospel into the center of your life, you will be humbled before people who don't even believe what you believe. You will seek to serve the people who disagree with you. And you will know that a man who loves people who did not live, love himself is your ultimate reality, i.e. Jesus himself. In January, my family and I, we went to uh, Thailand Bangkok, and one of the places that we visited, obviously, uh, are the temples. There's so many temples in uh, Bangkok, and one of the mo most famous ones is the Reclining Buddha, right? It's this huge uh, um, statue of uh, Buddha reclining before he was transitioning into uh, some other dimension. That's how the story is told. Now, when I was in that place, and I went in, and then I was just looking at that, taking a few uh, photos, obviously, like all good tourists do, I was reminded of what uh, John Stott once wrote in his book, The Cross of Christ, which I um, reproduce here on the slide. This is what he, he wrote. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples. Maybe I, I did not enter as many as John Stott did. And, but he said, I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. Next slide. But each time, after a while, I, had, I have had to turn away, and in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, Pro bleeding from torn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his. 
this is the God. This is Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he died for everyone on the cross because he cared for everyone and he wants everyone to be saved through him. So at the heart of this exclusive claim, at the heart of the exclusivity of Jesus, is a savior who died for his enemies and forgave those who put him on the cross. That is a radical, counterintuitive, supernatural, unconditional love. And surely that makes Jesus the most inclusive and exclusive way to God that is worth building our lives on. So friends, this is the time where I ask you to respond to God's word because that's what we have to do every time we listen to God's word every Sunday. If Jesus' claims are true that he's the way, the truth, and the life, if those claims are true, there are no two ways about it. There's no middle ground. Jesus does not ask you and me today for our votes as the most appealing candidate for the savior of the world. He simply states his lordship of the universe and demands our lives, our allegiance, our devotions. Does he have your allegiance, your life, and your devotion? If you are a Christian, I would like to invite you to believe more deeply in the gospel and be able to share that and defend that lovingly, knowing that you are just a sinner saved by grace. You're not superior to your friends who are Hindu or Buddhist or Muslims or whatever. Had it not been for the grace of God, you might be like them and perhaps much worse. And therefore, we humbly and lovingly tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not yet a Christian today, I want you to continue considering these claims. And I do pray that one day, or maybe this morning, you would make that decision to acknowledge Jesus as your true and only Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, all we like sheep have gone astray. We deny God as so many people do today. And that's why our lives feel meaningless. We refuse the love of Jesus and that's why we sink into this coldness of despair. Because you have made us for yourself and our hearts will remain restless until they find the rest in you. So may your words to the troubled disciples come true to us this morning. Let not your heart be troubled. I go prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may, may be also. Lord, may that be our response uh, this morning. We want to be where Jesus is. We want to acknowledge you as the only way, truth, and life for us. Amen.